0: Welcome to episode 281 of Fintech Insider. We are coming to you live from the 11fS office in Wework, Devonshire Square. My name Well, my name's Simon Taylor and I'm going to be your host for today, but I'm joined by lots of colleagues and co-hosts. Uh, we have Mr. David Breer, Mr. David Beardless. How are you doing?
1: uh yeah still kind of weirded out i have to say like every time i get in a lift or see a mirror the fact that i don't have my sort of uh, my sort of trademark beard is kind of freaking me out too honestly so the bread is no more it is yeah. <laughs> it's, it's long I've gone bread bread no i can't bread make that work yeah no yeah. it's too hard it's you, too hard i respect
0: you for trying thank you uh mr jason bates hello sir how you doing i'm very well good and uh, mr ross Gurr. hey are you feeling festive Feeling festive and nostalgic. This is our last show of 2018. Festive and nostalgic. Uh, the lights are extra twinkly. There's cake around. There's, there's a soldier. tear in your
1: eye. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, just that ethereal haze. That ethereal haze. <laughs> that, ethereal haze. And, that sounds like a really good like breakout album name, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does <has. laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I'm not going to say what I thought it sounded like. Uh, <laughs> All righty does anybody want to know the answer to that i do yeah yeah a burning desire it sounds like something you'd buy in a coffee shop in amsterdam absolutely nice does uh so this for this very special show as ross said we're, we're going back through everything that happened in 2018 um so let's just get started shall we um first one big thing that happened in 2018 number one We got some more fintech unicorns. Uh, In 2018, Revolut, Monzo, TransferWise, and Robinhood all became fintech unicorns after reaching a valuation of more than a billion dollars.
1: What does that mean? What does it all mean, Basil? The, our babies are growing up aren't they into beautiful unicorns it's it's wonderful like it feels like the industry is basically growing up right they're reaching the point where they're actually having serious uh, impact on the industry and gaining enough customers that actually vcs and everybody's sort of really getting behind it so yeah it feel, feels like this is just the industry getting bigger and bigger is valuation a vanity metric still or does this mean something for customers
0: as well because this is ba- sometimes it's backed up with customer numbers
1: yeah, I, th- I think it depends on the startup, right? There's a few of them in there that I think it might be vanity-wise, and particularly for the you know the the founders are sort of shouting about it a little bit more than they are the customer numbers, as you say. Yeah, um, but not in all of these cases, you know. And thinking a lot of them, they're actually finding proper business models now. Which uh, you know, I know it's weird to be like congratulating businesses for having business models, but for <laughs> a, you know, it feels like the the thing that we should be uh, we should be sort of realizing is people are actually starting to make money, which is I'm good. Not,
2: I'm not so sure about that. I mean, Revolut's not making money is not making money. Robin Hood's not making money. Transfer-wise, I think is profitable. So, uh, so if anything, this says actually the market thinks that the players that get to scale are going to be worth a lot in the future, mm-hmm. even though they very, you know, few of them are turning profit at the moment.
0: Which Robin, says Robin th- Hood are though, aren't they? Aren't Robin Hood making money? I don't know. And I've got to look that up, but what that says to me actually is that this story isn't over. The fact they've reached this valuation isn't the end of them scaling, it's the beginning. And it's, it's kind of an interesting point in time because it's like, oh shit, we've got to pay attention now. Um, it's not that nice little Series A company that raised five million that's really cute um, that we could squash like a bug. This is, these are meaty organizations that have got many millions of customers. And these
3: companies are launching products propositions that are resonating with customers now en masse they're they're hitting scale um yes they're still running off the fumes of vc funding um and whether we see a push in the next year 2019 towards more intensive um profitability remains to be seen
0: but so um if i'm in a strategy team at a bank should i
1: just give it all up and start whoring out my cv absolutely <laughs> i mean like why not but uh, I, I guess it's um it like for us uh, everybody sort of on the street and people hear like unicorn and a billion it's a, it's kind of a big deal until you start looking the fact that like HSBC made fifty-four billion last year, so you know they've got a long way to go until we're talking about Goliaths and Goliaths. But you know, David's kind of getting his shit together, which is good.
0: Yeah, he is. And he has no beard. There's no <laughs> limit to this guy's power? <laughs> when well, I thought shaving hair off
1: actually reduced his power, uh, yeah. I really
0: did not think it was the source of all your power. I
1: like genuinely, we're worried about that. Like, it's let's, let's <laughs> only been a few days, guys. Let's see how this goes in twenty nineteen. Alrighty, uh,
0: let's go to the next one: IPOs and not so IPOs, fintech investment. So aside from the unicorns we saw some ipos um we saw adion came out with an 8.6 billion dollar valuation and funding circle not so well though they didn't do quite as well they floated at 1.5 billion but end of day they dropped to 1.25 so the ipo market for fintech seems to be up and down
3: yeah it's an interesting one there's no sort of consistent picture i think um Adyen, as you said, IPO'd at a value of 8.6 billion. First day of trading, that closed up 90%. Um, and is kind of, the, you know, the, shortly after that, they announced um, higher than ever profits. So it's just continued to climb. Um, funding Circle, not as, uh, as successful. IZL of course, came very close to IPOing. Um, and ultimately pulled out in favor of being acquired by PayPal. So no clear exit picture.
0: I don't know. In favor of being acquired by PayPal, but now as being looked at by the competition authority. So that might not happen too. It's like how to bungle getting uh, capital into your organization 101, um, which is a shame because uh, they seem to have done reasonably well and if you look at the US market Square has actually done really well since their IPO despite initially having more than halved in value so maybe we shouldn't read too much into kind of the one day moves and step back and look at where these things are in three and five years which kind of comes back to the theme from the first point really is like this isn't the end of the journey there's a long way to go.
3: And medium-term markets are efficient right i mean and and Square's a great example of a company that has kind of gone from strength to strength like you said off the back of um maybe a disappointing time but, you know, continue to launch it roll out products um they've launched they've moved now into the the, the point-of-sale lending space they're looking now at um going again for their banking license so yeah certain times there's also a question of uh, of of whether the IPO is the, the
2: end game now, because especially, especially with Softbank's 100 billion vision fund, you know it, it got to a point, I think with V.C., where you'd been through your A round, B round, C round, D round, you know you wanted your couple of hundred million. Actually the only way of, doing, of really getting to that money was, was going to the markets and IPOing but that 's not the case anymore, you know people are raising just crazy amounts of money on massive valuations that ultimately the market is likely to to overturn if they ever do IPO because we 've seen that happen a few times where suddenly you know uh, companies with massive valuations startups you know suddenly IPO and drop so um, so it, I think it 's interesting as to as to how far vC and and the big fund and sovereign wealth now want to get into these things
0: separate from that that main market. It does give you a different option. So WeLab um, on the 8th of November last year uh, raised something like $220 million in Series B equity and <laughs> debt. I mean, it's just a different scale, isn't it? And it's equity and debt. You're seeing, I mean, if you look at what's happening with Uber, if you look at what's happening with WeWork, the mega company has a longer shelf life of being private than ever before. And do they have to go public or do they stay privately held and hit profit or do they just, like, there are these monsters? that just keep on growing. Well, you're talking about decacorns there. Yeah. yeah. Like
3: Airbnb, Uber, Pinterest. You know, of the,
2: none of those. Are, you know, uh,
3: Adyen, yeah, Adyen right now have a valuation above 15 billion. I think their IPO this year was second only to Spotify. Uh, I mean, what does that say about the legitim-
1: le- legitimization of fintech? But, uh, well, and, and many of those ones that you've just sort of said about on that list are so precariously placed. You know, they are, like you say, Uh, you know, multi multi billion companies, but actually like Uber and Airbnb, and these guys are, you know, seen as like a shining light for for kind of startups type thing. But most of them seem to be a bit of a house of cards when it comes to their business model, doesn't it?
0: Indeed. Oh, well, um, maybe they'll get caught by the regulator. Maybe. Maybe they'll get caught by them. There's been a lot of regulation in the past year. Uh, we've had various oh. open banking things. We've I, had I G- see what
2: you did there. You're moving on to point three. It was like a, a, a seamless
0: segue. Yeah. I, di- I, <laughs> didn't even, I didn't even realize we were here. I didn't know.
1: <laughs> he threw it up. We did not catch it. Did I we know. It you all. left me all I'm alone sorry. on the
0: alley-oop. I'm feeling, I'm feeling hurt, but not annoyed because I got you, David. Uh, <laughs> Uh, launched almost exactly a year ago on the thirteenth of January, PSD two's not exactly been an, open, an overnight success. Um, in the it's been kind of a a uh, UK centric story has um, the PSD2 and the open banking but as we saw in the US Plaid have now what uh, been valued at nearly 2 billion and they've got a very different route to market and you've kind of got these two stories of open banking playing out the European regulation heavy story and the US competition and startup investment story that, that kind of goes in a different direction so you know, which one of these is going to play out and how much of regulation has really changed the lives of consumers and changed the lives of banking or has this been another year of oh just another regulation goes on to the mandatory regulatory backlog
1: like non nothing and mainly annoyances like this time last year we were all getting quite excited about oh open banking because it literally came in top of the year didn't it so it's january something um so yeah december last year we were all like oh what are people gonna do and it turns out nothing it was Um,
0: it was the ultimate like
1: Oh. Yeah, wah, wah, wah. so open banking, I think, has been super, super disappointing. That nobody's really sort of grabbed the ball by the horns and done something with it. GDPR was just an annoyance, like uh, for about eight weeks of basically figuring out whether I accepted some random terms and conditions of a thousand people who sent me something to my Gmail account. But but
2: with open banking, I mean, it was halfway into the year or even even beyond before every, you know the big CMA nine actually had their shit together yeah you know that they had the apis in place Mm. so it got to a point where it wasn't a global universal solution it didn't all work in the same way there was lots still to work out and it lacked killer use cases that people were sort of shying away from doing because everyone was still working out how all of this Mm. thing worked so i don't think i ever expected it to explode in january you know january 2018 but it's one of those things that you know as as We talk to clients about new propositions and ideas, the ability to to build Banking data in from other accounts uh, is there? It's just not the major thing. No. It, it's it's a facilitator, part but, of the jigsaw.
1: But how many you know? How many clients have we talked to where it's like, yeah, we're going to use open banking to get that source of data. Like, and we're like, yeah, we're like, yeah, but but we're,
2: they they always say like uh, to aggregate all the accounts together because customers will want to log on to our mobile app in order to be able to see all their other accounts. And you're like, great, because that's what everyone else is saying. Yeah, I think we need to tell Liad
1: about that one. That's definitely going to be a there's, there's a comic yeah. coming to yeah. some <laughs> to a.
0: Twitter to feed near you soon of like, I know, let's aggregate all of the accounts together so that you can aggregate your aggregated accounts and it would be like a, a, an account aggregation pyramid and you'll be able to see the aggregated, aggregated, aggregated accounts. You won't even know which one's yours anymore. But, and I think that's the the first stage i mean the
2: the most common conversation that i 've had with with big bank clients this year has been around trying to change their view of apis mm-hmm. as enabling end to end journeys rather than letting the other see letting me see other banks data and bringing that in one place that 's the like level zero point zero one it's yeah. like we can bring all the data together, but the fact that we 've you know, we've got uh, lots of businesses out there in the non-banking world that are using APIs cleverly. Like I think on a previous podcast, we spoke about Uber, the fact that it's just such a great API-based business. You've got uh, uh, an app that uses uh, APIs to a phone that, that, that Uber don't own. Uh, they use... Uh, Google GPS, you know Google Maps, in order to show where you are. They use Braintree in order to make the payments. Uh, They use internal Uber APIs to move cars around. Connecting all of those APIs together give you these really seamless journeys, and we've just not seen that in banking yet. People on on creating those seamless journeys they're still thinking about how to aggregate all that data together
0: yeah what well, they're doing what they've heard everybody else do because there are heard me- there's a herd mentality going on and i think this is that means there's so much opportunity it's almost like it's only one percent finished almost but by
3: the regulator you know forcing especially incumbents to open up those back ends and like it creates that level playing field that breeds innovation right Simon you said open their back end I really did <laughs> I'm <laughs> so sorry <laughs> so, I apologise I don't know if this is even going to be in the blooper reel or if, it, like, if it's just going to just <laughs> uh, let's just go with
1: straight it straight in the show I, like, I, I just want that as a clip yeah. <laughs> I'd like yeah. that as my text tone
2: <laughs> <laughs> but the GDPR I think it's a dittl, different kettle of fish. The number of sort of consumers who have for really jumped by onto the way, uh, kettle of fish is a
1: really interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> its is. yes, that's a really, really interesting one. So um, I don't know if I can explain kettle of fish. To be honest with you, I know what it means. I just don't know why. Right? We'll leave that for the <laughs> for the listeners to uh, to work
2: out. I have no idea.
1: Definition in the show it's notes. A different
2: kettle of fish. Um, I mean, I had uh, I've got a friend who runs uh, some dinners for uh, for wealth clients to come Ooh. along and uh, and learn about his services and all this kind of stuff. So he invited some people along to this like Michelin style restaurant, all this stuff. Sends them a note afterwards to say uh, you know thanks and I'm just following up on whatever. One of them was like, "This is not GDPR compliant." Uh, it's like wow, suddenly consumers are given this whole new th- new thing. So and fun. I am. A big big advocate of gdpr i mean the number of uh, large companies that are just taking the piss with when with yeah. regards to data and the abuses of it and actually you know make giving them some responsibility but i have seen a few abuses of it as uh, well well that's
0: the thing the intent of gdpr is absolutely spot on with what the economy and the world needs right now is empowerment of the individual to take control of their data. The implementation is horrifically bad. All it has become is a contract annoyance that makes doing life slightly harder than it was before for no good reason. And some, you know that person who always goes, ah, oh, I've got a point. What about GDPR? <laughs> it's just given that person another thing to say. It's like, no, get out of the way you idiot. We're trying to solve a problem here. Um, but anyways, we've we've done uh, a couple of shows on this sort of stuff. <laughs> Um, I feel like we've we've come down
2: negatively on GDPR, which, like, I'm sure there's just this tiny percentage that abuse it. And 98% of the time, it's a great thing. But... It's great so, in principle, but, but I've not seen
1: it great in practice. But it was yeah. just an annoyance. Like, this was over summer, wasn't it? It was just, like, uh, so many emails. thousand emails yeah. to say, yeah. and sign up again. I just didn't care. Like, I think it actually coincided with me just stopping using my Gmail account. Because I'm like... I don't understand how I'm still getting emails given I <laughs> didn't accept anybody's thing. You know? All, all so. I've seen off the back of it is that
0: at least now we know
3: the hackers have our data. <laughs>
1: Some, sometimes.
0: There's also that thing where you used to go to a website and it says, this website uses cookies. Now you also get another pop-up that says, also, you have to accept that we can track you. And it's like, and you can't view the website unless yeah. you accept yeah. everything. Exactly. So
1: it's like... What, Is that what that says because i just click okay
0: yeah no then then what you can do is you can go in and individually opt out of certain advertisers if you so wish but doing so is so excruciatingly painful that you will never ever do it so again well intended um but not successful um if you want to know more about open banking we did an insight show on episode 274 um and there's a whole bunch of episodes around dirty data that we did you should go back and look into all right next story um big banks make little banks this one great title there I'm guessing that's David that has you written all over it ickle
1: that's nice uh, no, it's, uh, well, general sort of trend of this year really is it's kind of like the big banks getting their shit together, which is great. And actually being in a situation where they really sort of understand what it is that's going to be able to sort of move them forwards. I, I, I know we've sort of talked about this in various different guises, but we've we basically seen, you know, big incumbent organizations trying to basically immortalize themselves in uh, you know, encase them in s- self and stone. And, you know, what are, what are those oxygen chambers called? And, you know, it's slowly sort of Phylogenic. replacing, yeah, freezing and all these types of weird <laughs> shit that they do but you know the idea of basically trying to immortalize yourselves and continue the thing that's existed for 300 years rather than giving birth to the next generation of stuff yes um, I kind of feel like they've probably just accepted defeat and actually gone do you know what the thing that we really need to, to, to create is the next generation uh, and actually by doing that they're creating not only the technological advancements that they need to to really sort of compete in this market but establishing the cultures of smaller organizations that allows them to really push back on the big players. Uh, the big fintech players. But I think it was the year,
2: uh, like to build on that, that banks discovered that digital isn't just a veneer or a little app but actually a different operating model with different levels of costs, with different ability to give services. And actually this isn't about uh, adding a new channel on the side and calling them digital and giving them an innovation budget. It's actually a different way of doing business. Hmm. And when you look at those, you know, the new players who are out out there, there's no way that you can replicate uh, the processes, the tech, the culture, the speed, all of those things simultaneously within a massive organization. So, you know, we've all... Around the table, had countless conversations with big banks that publicly have said we're going to spend a billion on digital transformation. We're going to spend two billion next year. Now we're going to spend another billion. And it's got to the point in 2018, I think, where they've said, actually, let's stop spending all these billions and let's start understanding that if we're going to create something with a new operating model, a truly digital business, then that thing needs to be have
0: some level of separation. And let's, let's give it a different brand. And, and I think that's the thing, to build on both of those points, uh, It's you were sort of going there with the having children thing um, rather than starting to get the older thing to, to go faster. That I, I still come across it occasionally where it's like, no, we need to brigade the entire organization and get them to all move like a startup. And it's like, one, you probably don't want that. That's not what, You don't want people moving fast and breaking things with your millions of customers. But actually, a child falls over a lot. You know, like if you think about the metaphor of the that that really makes sense because they're learning really quickly. So instead of trying to make the 76 year old win a marathon by spending billions in the, in the Olympics, why don't we think about let's have the children and train them and teach them to become something big as they grow older and I think that's the key metaphor for me is like stop trying to make the 76 year old win that well, marathon. I think for me it's again to that well-known
2: refrain it's the move from commodity products to mm-hmm. intelligent services and the intelligent services business and the operating model is very different from the the manufacture and distribution of traditional financial products it's different yeah. and knowing that that's a different business uh, means that you have to create a different business, and, and doing that within a, a massive organisation of forty thousand people—that's a vital utility to millions of others—in a heavily regulated industry—it's just crazy if you think you're going to you're going to make that transition. Uh, you know, while the thing's running, it's it's incredibly difficult.
0: Terry Wogan of fintech, what do you think about this? I loved. I honestly loved your metaphor. <laughs>
3: like, take the seventy-six-year-old, spend a load of money on. I don't even know what it would be bionic something or other yeah. to get him to win the in marathon. The- than it would at the just Olympics. be a rascal,
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> a really fast
0: rascal. Yeah, <laughs> but so like your word choices today, David, rascal,
3: lickle, ickle. But we've seen some successes in this space from the big banks, right? I
1: mean, Marcus Yolt. Uh, two very good examples Denison Denison uh, Aslow but but what um what do you what do you think's actually got them to this point though I know we you know we've had various different common conversations but we've been saying this for a couple of years now but it feels like people are kind of getting it this year and you know based on the sort of inbound and various different things like this isn't a trend that's kind of going away so what happened at the board like there was somebody like hang on we spent billions last year we're going to spend billions again? Like, I, was I, it a...
0: You know what I think it was? Call me once. I think it was the... Sh- the tsunami of regulation has finally slowed down and people are starting to think about growth. And that mm-hmm. means they had the thinking space to think about growth in a different way. The ironic thing is, though, then going to issue an RFP to figure out how to build a startup just feels wrong to me. Like, do you, do you know uh, many startups that started by responding to an RFP? Like, there's just there's still some behave- buying behaviors that I think are pretty interesting and culturally that, that I think we need to overcome.
2: I think it was the the fact that suddenly you saw some fintechs, Revolut, Monzo, it's others, visible. Suddenly, bec- uh, got to a million customers, mm-hmm. two million customers, and. And where that that there was always that questionable hypothesis before of great someone's got a new app-based bank, but really like get a current account customers 150 pounds or something in customer acquisition costs. Are these are these boys really going to get anyone to switch? Because switching rates are ma- are historically low. Like no one switches their bank account, so the, these guys are never going to work. So uh, in my you know in my little head, I've got this uh, vision of the investment board where someone's standing up to say, great, we're going to launch a new thing. Thing. Uh, or we're going to replace our core banking system and, and do intelligence Trigger word. <laughs> uh, and you can see the, uh, the board sort of going through their questions, like, is it going to be expensive? Yeah, really expensive. Is it going to be risky? Well, yes, it could take the whole bank down. Right. Is it going to make us a lot of money really quickly? Well, not really, because that's not what we're really into. Okay. And has anyone done this sort of outside? Can you point to any successes? Well, no, not at the moment, but they're going to happen. Right, why don't you come back and see us next year, and we'll see how we get on there. And I think this year they came back, and or maybe even the board turned around and said, "Hey, my my niece's user is raving about this little pink card.
0: Why aren't we doing something about that?" (laughs) Yeah. And the guy who was there with the investment case is like, "I've been telling you about this for years." Do you you know know how many times I've heard anecdotes from really senior bankers who go, "My kid has an iPhone now. All the kids have it. We need an app." And I think you're exactly right. And my kid has one of these pink cards now. My kid has one of these Revolut cards, my kid has a free trade account, Robinhood account, Chime account, Venmo, wherever you are in the world, that I think is is a stunningly astute observation, as is the fact that it's time for an ad break.
1: I wonder if a robot will be driving us to work in the future.
0: They say robots could become more intelligent than humans, which can only be a good thing, right?
1: Stephen Hawking said the rise of robots could be disastrous for mankind.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to robots doing the hard
1: parts of my job. If they're smarter than you, they might kick you out of your job. Artificial intelligence. Innovation or invasion. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash subscribe today.
3: Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail. Transaction lending and treasury and capital markets, on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey
0: today with Finastra. Slam! That was like a hardcore ad break. I'm, I'm sorry, I just threw you right in there, David. Felt felt hard done to a little bit.
1: Well, I just think about them, like whiplash straight into the ads.
0: <laughs> I just, I'm just going to dunk you right in ads in, in this one. you got to be ready for it. You did hear the Terry Wogan of fintech saying, "Imagine." <laughs> Do it for us. Do the imagine.
3: <laughs> imagine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> tingles. Yeah, oh, the, the spine tingles. All right, the next story is about, well, it's Asia Pacific. Um, there's a lot uh, going on in that space, as always. Huge, huge year for the region. Uh, the thing that caught my eye, of course, is, yes, uh, WePay had its largest red-letter day ever, um, but we've seen other things around the fringes as well. Um, what stands out to you, Jason? Uh, I... Thought
2: that the amount of investment going on in China is crazy. I mean, we've got a few unicorns, but they are growing just crazy. I mean, I, I found a, an article that's talking about the fintech investment in China is is up almost tenfold already compared to last year, with more than thirty-seven billion raised by fintech companies between 2014 and the first half of
1: 2018 across uh, 309 Jesus. transactions. China generally just skews, like, the average on everything that happens in any of these spaces, doesn't it? So being in a a situation where they're raising so much money and doing so much things, then you sort of feel like they're always that outlier. It feels unfair, doesn't it? Yeah, take them out of the data set so they don't spoil it for everybody else.
0: I feel like they should have done that with Usain Bolt and the Olympics,
1: right? A lot of Olympics metaphors today, but, you know, it's just like you're an outlier. Like, it's weird because I'm literally looking at Usain Bolt's restaurant right now. So, like, that's like a weird head fuck you just did for me, Simon <laughs> I'm mine. Fucking. <laughs> How did I not notice that? I know it's we're, right there. I feel like we've gone
2: all potty mouth this episode. By the way, I feel oh, like no. I might have started it off early. <laughs> on. I apologise, listeners, especially if you're listening in the car and the children are there. Oh, hey, yeah. kids, sorry about that. <laughs> Nasty man on the radio
0: is is really nice. Mummy loves fintech.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bob McLean loves fintech. Shout out, Bob. <laughs> um, what about uh, other parts of Southeast Asia? Though, I mean, obviously, China continues to be the story of our age. But if we put Put that outlier aside for a second. Mm. Anywhere else stand out?
1: Well, so I, I think the the stories that we we're sort of covering a little bit earlier on around the the sort of regulatory climate over there as well so actually being in a situation where we're seeing both hkma and maz uh, on the regulatory front really starting to sort of step the game up you know we've seen the virtual licenses that are being issued in uh, in hong kong we're seeing maz really sort of drag racing against everybody on the planet in terms of doing the most innovative things from a regulatory perspective so you know i i don't think it's just Um, very very large investments it's actually similar story to what we've sort of seen in the UK where very fruitful grounds are being uh, created through the regulator really allowing it to happen and not strangling it before it's ready to go. And I think this is an
0: interesting contrast to open banking GDPR that really well targeted like opening up of regulation that's not lowering the barrier but that's saying here's this other thing for this type of thing here's this other route to get to the same point the scrutiny at the end point is the same
1: well and, and very much optically if you look at the difference between what's happening with hkma and what's happening with MAS, and if you flip over to the us actually the you know we're not seeing that level of change there definitely from a state-to-state perspective in terms of the regulatory system to really allow fintech to flourish in the same way the, and it, it didn't take a lot i mean i've spent
2: a what, a couple of months now out in Hong Kong working with our friend Standard Chartered uh, and uh, and the HKMA Virtual Banking Licence Uh, opportunities were were nothing different than their standard banking license opportunity. I mean, the, or the, the approach, it wasn't that they'd come up with a whole new framework. It was just the intent that actually we're going to let some new players into the market. And they had only over, I think 50, 50 people come forward in order to make applications, all kinds of things like Chinese FinTech, some of the big banks in, in Hong Kong, um, uh, different collaborations of retail players and, uh, you know,
0: existing uh, sort of uh, industrial players. I think that point about optics is so huge. Uh, I mean, if you go back to what happened with the uh, Bank of England and the FCA and PRA a number of years ago, same thing. Like this statement of intent. If you ask anyone that's been through it, I think you might know somebody, Um, that wasn't easy and it's it's as hard as it's ever been. It's just the intent of come talk to you, come talk to us, we intend for this to be an option for you, we would like more of this type of company in the market, but we're not going to make it easy, it's still going to be extremely hard. Uh, Which is where the PRA and the FCA, I think, have led the
2: way with their secondary objective, you know, beyond protecting the fidelity of the UK financial system, they're also now encouraging competition, you know, have their secondary objective. Because markets that have competition tend to do better for that end customer. Absolutely. And so I think seeing that both in Hong Kong, suddenly it's opened up, and suddenly the you know some a place where many of the big banks make a lot of money from that that population are now being opened up for you know for new players. And of course in Australia, my uh, my friends over at Zinja uh, have re- have just got their banking license.
0: So again, they're you know they're starting the whole Australian thing. It's starting to happen. There's another. Bank- bank called the 86400 as well which still sounds like down. a
2: sci-fi series i'm sure i've heard there was the 4400
0: <laughs> and actually it wasn't bad uh, i'm not going to lie it was a reasonable tv show but a terrible name for a bank i'm sorry um anthony thompson is like a, a serial entrepreneur who's launched many many banks and i'm sure this one will go on to do as well as all of the previous efforts but terrible name
3: but it's about helping you make the most of every second of every day
0: yeah I get the meaning yeah
1: just I quite like the meaning yeah but try and fucking google it yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) sure the end move on in comes Brea with savagery (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) I think so Um, and again sorry kiddies yeah yeah. The mean man was drinking beer. He didn't mean it. But speaking of market competition, I mean, to Jason's point, we've seen that play out in a number of ways. Yes, we've seen it play out in different geographies like Hong Kong and Australia. But in the UK now, I think you're seeing the next logical step in that a challenger bank launches a feature. And now the big banks all want to have that feature, too.
3: But so, the, but the regulatory point here is still quite important because um, when you look at HKMA, I think they've been so open at looking outwards. I think they regard the FCA in particular as the sort of gold standard and they've been really open to, you know, just sort of fostering that competition, fintech bridges, sandboxes, all that sort of stuff. And it's now starting to pay off. Yes, Sydney at the moment, it's, it's sort of starting. It's starting from a very low base, 86, 400, Zinja. Actually, apart from that, There's not a huge amount happening.
0: But the first ones aren't the last ones usually, I suspect no, of you'll see more. And the interesting thing about FinTech Bridges is people you've now got a global regulatory community that's looking to learn from each other and that is communicating what works and what's good for the consumer. And I think that's the
1: I, I think like on that though, it's it's like the HKMA one. Like if in the first round for the FCA on the you know, the the lowering of the, the guard we had one of the biggest banks on the planet applying for a banking license, we would have probably been quite surprised. You know, the first on every list for the virtual banking licenses is Standard Charter. Like, this is a massive organization trying to dramatically do something different in the way that we were sort of describing before. That's a
0: really interesting sea change.
2: Because we're now in that space where we've got Marcus and Yolt and all of those guys. And so, the bank's now open to Mm. this and and now with a new virtual banking license being able to spawn a new digital bank it's funny because we've got like the UK from four or five years ago with today of all of the new players actually starting new things off
1: well and and the difference between that as well you know if you look at what we did with Metal we didn't Publish or shout about it until we were actually live. Whereas standard charter from like about fourteen seconds after it was happening, then you know everybody was sort of promoting and moving that forwards because it's it's the sign of such a significant change within that organisation that it's it's there. You know, I think it's a it's a very a very different feeling. You but know?
0: you're seeing that double header, right? So you're seeing they're launching new. Uh, brands, but also the main brand is doing a lot of copycat stuff. So you, yes, you see, this is the next theme, by the way. I'm segueing as seamlessly. Did, <laughs> yeah. did you notice that? I may have even tried to do it a couple Good. of times. Nice. Um, the, so Monzo and Starling released gambling block functionality. Yeah. The big banks launch it. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, challenger banks have a map of your location of your transactions. The big banks now have that. They allow you to freeze your card. The big banks now have that. Will we see more of this copycat thing going forward? Do you think that's a major trend? Yeah, and it's not terrible.
1: Yeah, I'd like. I I I worry about this, if I'm honest with you, because actually, I think it's it's kind of all well and good, kind of replicating the functionality. But if it costs one person twenty thousand pounds to do it, and it costs you a year to copy them and fifteen million pounds. And then you probably don't 100% understand why you're doing it. You're just doing it anyway. I'm not sure it's setting the right precedent. And you're definitely not going to start recruiting the best type of talent by basically just going, you know, copy what everybody else is doing. But, but is it a bad thing to do
0: both, right? If on if in the mothership you are copying just to kind of keep up with the market, at least it's better than what sure. was before. And then you do the other thing.
2: Mm. Yeah. But I
0: think there's been a lot
2: of work going on behind the scenes in order to... to uh, Increase those release cycles. We, I know, you know, Nationwide, Barclays, like a variety of banks, have really have been almost quiet with releasing all of these things because they put so much effort into retooling so that they can make, you know, three releases a, a week or something. Where before it was going to be, well, the, the graphs of it, it would take you know forever for a bank to go through all of that. So I think that the. But, but I've, I've, I think that the the whole competition uh, remit of the. FCAPRA has really like started to has has kickstarted the market it's but, worked
3: <laughs> but also it's more expensive now for banks to just keep doing the same old thing
0: Mm, I think right. so. And and it's riskier to not do anything, and it's riskier to try and do a uh, big bang change than it ever was. Um, which moves us on to the next point, which was Big Bang migrations.
3: Sorry, si, yeah. you are on fire, man. <laughs> <This is laughs> have you, this have you got
1: somewhere to be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but, but just to just to go back slightly, we're gonna come back again. But, but like like if um like I can hear I can hear Simon of Anticalina like laughing hysterically at that point. Because it's like three <coughs> releases uh, like, a week, or oh, that's cute, you know. Like, yeah. you know, when you're in a, an organisation who has, you know, real sort of engineering. Uh, operational capability and you're releasing like a hundred times a week and doing everything that you can to make every change that you're doing as small as it possibly can meaning it's you know doesn't have the significance of the impact and it's not uh, completely service destroying if there's a problem then three releases a week just seems kind of lame you know
0: especially when the new competitors are gaining customers so quickly and they're releasing at a hundred times a week and they're also doing it with a different customer brand, different way of customer communicating, and they've got a grasp of their data because their core systems are different. Yeah, but but it's,
1: but it's like saying it's like, well, uh, well, yeah, you know, I know you're not, you know, you're not an Olympic runner, but like your time's quite good, you know. Like it's like actually, this is not like an everybody gets a medal. Yeah, no,
0: there's no, no prize you know. for but participating. Exactly. So this. I
1: just wanted to pick up on the point, side that
3: you made about attracting talent. Uh, if you actually think about it, yes, all right, talent wants to go to fast-moving startups where they're empowered and they can actually like, affect change. But also, if you think from a customer-based perspective, what had the most amount of reach and affected the most amount of change? Monzo introducing the gambling block or Barclays introducing the gambling block. And actually, from a scale perspective, Barclays affected change and touched more people's lives with that. It's true. It is true. I, I think there is also a new,
2: a new table stakes arising. It's like, what does a standard account have to do? And it always used to be, I mean, we know this, you know, you'd go to a big bank and they go, well, what's everyone else doing? You know, Ross, you know, yeah. that's doing the research side. Absolutely. Like benchmark me against the competition. Yeah. And it's like, away you go. And now suddenly there's new competition and suddenly the benchmark of, well, you're 98% of what the market does or 102%. It's suddenly actually you're 67%. Yeah. That's actually a a, a big driver, I think.
0: I think that too. And to, and back to David's point about don't just copy because they're, the people you're trying to copy aren't standing still. They're moving quicker than you can. So, if you spend three years trying to copy where the challenges are now well they 'll be not only further ahead than you in three years they 'll be nine years ahead because they 're moving at least be, three times as fast. to be a fast follower, you have to be fast well
2: definitely. Uh, people always used to talk about you know, Monzo being well, is that it but essentially, you were looking at an MVP account, something that just basically provides you with discretionary spend you know a, a money you can load money, a card you could load money on and go and, go and spend. But it was based on a, a microservices-based modern architecture that means that actually it's you know it's humming along at two percent of what it could possibly deliver in the future, and I think when you start to see new things come along, or I don't know, say that there are suddenly sub accounts that, that you're going to share with a variety of different people, then at some point the banks go, oh fuck, like w- we can do gambling blocks, we can do geolocation, like multi-asset sub-accounts that you can share with everyone No, that's just not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, we're out.
0: (laughs) No, you lost us, dear. (laughs) But that's the thing. I do remember working in a big bank and people going, why are you so excited about that? It's just a prepaid card and an app. And I'm like, you've missed it because it's not that it's a prepaid card and it's an app. It's how it's been built. It's what it could be. And it's also uh, the mechanism they use to understand stuff. I think also in in the product of a lot of these new propositions is a real understanding of the customer, not lip service to the customer. And the things that are really important Important to the customer were not those th- features of the product that existed 200 years ago. The things that are important to a customer are very, very different to that.
1: I don't know. I don't know. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Like I I, I never really look at um, in some instances 100. percent I never really look at Revolut and go they really understand customers. Do you? I just no, look at Revolut uh, and I go holy shit, they like deliver so much stuff relentlessly. Well, yeah, they're also... just they're just putting stuff out in the market. I think the difference is now you just actually got to be good at something, and if it's just if it's releasing something if it's understanding customers if it's you know if it could be if it could be customer service if it could, could be creating community but whatever it is that you do you've, you've gotta great, got to be good it. at it now you got to be great at yeah. it i think i think you have got to
0: be really great at it and you can't necessarily do it by making what you've got go faster mm. maybe you need to look at
1: something different in the back end well well and that's the scary thing because like being good at something actually takes a lot of effort it's mm. not about above <laughs> <Damn> the, it. <laughs> yeah it's not about above the line spend on like you know tube campaign and, like, outdoor stuff. Like, it's actually hard graft and hard work to, like, go make something happen. And most people don't want to do that, right? And it
0: doesn't necessarily become compatible with all of your existing matrices of governance and spend and um, kind of cycles and all that kind of stuff. And I think the old model of the way we'll get to new is by doing a big bang is now finally kind of broken in that we saw with TSB was the big one this year. Um, But there have been plenty of other examples around the world where somebody's taken their core banking system and gone we'll jump we'll leapfrog into the future by taking another product from another vendor that does basically the same thing Uh, and that might be uh, you know, in in addition to the whole, like, look, there
2: are fintech challenges that now have a few million customers. There's also people who've tried big digital transformation and been spanked by the regulator and also, you know, l- l- uh, locked customers out of their accounts for a few weeks at a time. I don't think they were literally spanked, by the way, <laughs> although
0: they may have been. I don't know. Like, that would focus the
2: mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a good man. I mean, that'd be a whole lot better than just firing the CEO and giving them a fine because fines don't work. Can
3: we continue down this thread and just see where we get to?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to see bring back putting CEOs in stocks, throwing tomatoes at people, <laughs> and like. spanking with a big like wooden paddle. Yep. This Th- is why it says did, regulator on it. This is why we did an episode title called Ritual Humiliation. <laughs> this is precisely why there is an episode called Ritual but, Humiliation. But you might say that the whole uh, uh,
2: Yolt, um, you know, metal that all of that kind of the new big banks creating little banks
0: also protects them from the TSB scenario. It's a better way of doing it. It's a better hedge, and it allows you to grow and learn about doing things in a different way. Mm. To grow a new architecture rather than trying to leap in one weekend.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's the thing. It's like when you do look at a metal, when you do look at a Marcus. It, you know, we talk, we say this all the time, but like, we really need to make this sticker. Like, it ain't what you do; it's the way that you do it, right? So that's what you know, gets results. Exactly. So these these little things that are kind of now coming to fruition and coming to the the sort of public. Uh, eye are uh, just the buds of change within major organizations right um, you know the thing that it is from a propositional perspective in the same way as Monzo was a pot coral card and a you know it's prepaid thing and an app then actually it ain't that it, that's what was there to start with it's everything that's been put behind the scenes whether it comes to operational excellence whether it's talent whether it's culture what, you know whatever it is that makes all of that sustainable to make it a really healthy business it's, you know? it's- customer perception as well because Mm. I think Marcus can talk
3: to customers in a way that Goldman Sachs probably can. not mm. You know that the, when they launched in the US, they um, made a big campaign about talking about debt and making that okay. If a big bank like Goldman Sachs does that, the initial reaction is cynicism. But when
1: it's something that looks like a startup and sounds like a startup and talks like a startup, it's... so I, I'm still on the I'm still on the fence a little bit with Marcus, if I'm honest with you. because actually, like they've got incredibly large amounts of customers just sort of driven to them, but basically we're in an environment where there's like like, fuck all savings rates. So basically if you would have done anything to make a good savings rate, you would have got crazy amounts you of You could customers. have
2: had a postal campaign to, uh, yeah. to- well, they And did, they it did. It they did in the US. They did. <laughs> they yeah.
0: did. Um, so they did a lot of classic stuff well, but I think the new stuff, like it, it, I give it a B-, minus, even though it's done extremely well, because they used a lot of traditional techniques, but they did it with a rate. Yeah. Uh, but they also did the other thing, which is have something that was incredibly easy to sign up to and was really, really thin as a Minimum lovable product. It did only what it needed to, and brutally so, and yeah. nothing else. I,
1: and like, don't get like, this is not me being like hipster fintech dude. Like, I've but lost, a beard. I know, so I can't you be. Can't be I know. I know, like, I'm going no, to get all serious dude. next year. Like, I've already, <laughs> I've already said in the office, I'm wearing suits again. Like, I've got all so three many, piece. I know. Watch chain. Full craziness. <laughs> Pinstripe. Um, watch chain. When was that ICO? <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, being in a situation where actually, like, I think Marcus is. Actually, come out and done some really interesting things, but it's playing the bank game with slightly new technology. Yes, so like they've got that sort of difficult second album to come out with, and we'll see what they do next uh, year. And also, I suspect the budget for getting
0: that done was um, an order of magnitude higher than it would be to do a Yolt or a Denizen or an Astro or those sorts of things. And and that's actually a part of the business case too. Is yes, I can go fund my balance sheet by doing mm. a cheap um, savings rate, but. you know, do I need to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions to do it? Because that just looks like digital transformation budget. But uh, in parallel to that point around,
2: you know, Monzo having produced this Uh, market level account but now has all of this headroom I think there's a really interesting point around the first few ventures that these banks get into they're having to reconfigure so much internally risk frameworks governance Mm -hmm. management like how do you actually launch a new product and enable it in order to uh, to have new releases when traditionally it used to used to have the, the release team planning a few months ahead as to what might go on so so it interests me as to like obviously with metal. It's like having done so much work in the back end to make that happen. Mm. Uh, now, suddenly, metal two, metal three, metal four, with a bank that's actually big and has you know a, a good amount of capital to deploy, yeah. actually sort of um, cleans the pipes. Suddenly, there's, there's uh, a, a,
0: the opportunity for doing a production line mm. where a variety of fintechs might be launched. I, I think this totally is a agree. really interesting and nuanced point that people will miss. There is still a fundamental difference go, Open that can, do it. Just go it. Let, let, let people hear it. That was yeah. a beer. My <laughs> Beers are happening. Uh, there's this really nuanced point between sort of doing Greenfield Marcus as a big bank in a big bank way and doing something different, it, doing what they did is still better, but mm. it looks a lot like um, First Direct and HSBC. Like, people have been doing that for decades. What we're saying is there is something fundamentally new about Yolt. There's something fundamentally new about Denison and ASTO and yeah. all of those types of uh, uh, New 10 and Money U by ABN. You know, there are, There's something fundamentally new here. Well, so
1: Marcus, to me, feels like a new product. It's not a service, you know, like actually what you've got is a savings account. It's just got a different, slightly different rate, like, and they've enhanced the onboarding experience and the tone is slightly different because it's Marcus and not Goldman Sachs. And that's good. It's like a, you know, it's like a nice directional thing to kind of get them going. Um, But it's what they do with it now, because like standalone savings is is not the thing but if this leads them to where they need to get to then this is you know a great stepping stone that has actually made him a bunch of money on the way there so
0: do we we think the new vendors behind the scenes have got anything to do with this shift as well is there something in the the thought machines the mambus the Lavarises, and let's say it 11fs foundry is there something there for it Show so me, baby. One. I, so
1: five. I don't think yet. You know, I, I definitely think in the mamboo sense like that those guys are having impact. You know, I think it's yeah. harking back to my uh, my Gartner days when I did wear my lovely suits. Then, like being in a situation where actually, like core banking is fundamentally transformed is not just from a technological perspective; it's actually most bank procurement processes getting their shit together. Well, so this
0: was kind of going to be my point, right? If you want to do this, is an RFP the starting point?
1: Um. Well, an RFP tells you what you ask the vendors to tell you. So actually, if you're looking at people who've spent a bunch of money and sold a bunch of stuff, then actually you have a tendency to get the people who've spent a bunch of money and sold a bunch of stuff. But actually, (laughs) if you're looking for the, you know, the scenarios where actually you're looking for technological advantage and actually this is what we're seeing. We're not we're not seeing really big organizations and this is probably the best thing that we've actually seen fintech really bring to market is we're not seeing huge organizations looking for you know 15 years of deployment experience in 57 countries which of well, that's 50 not helpful, you're not it's, in it's
2: that, it's that zero to one isn't it it's yeah. that threshold it's like actually who, will you work with a vendor who has no live deployments no but now some of them are starting to get a couple you're like okay that you're, you're over and the threshold. Now. Yeah, you know is, is Monzo a real player until it gets to a million. Co- well, now it has a million, and now okay, away, mm. away we go.
1: Now what's the excuse?
2: You know, <laughs> now you're a, you're NatWest, you're RBS. You've never launched a new thing. Now you've done metal. Oh, you're, you're over the threshold, yeah. and you've gone that zero to one, which opens it up. So I think it's an it's a variety of those things that are happening at the same time. You're seeing new players. Powered by new vendors because the old vendors aren't fast enough or agile enough or won't offer the flexibility that new guys want. And then those new vendors that are proving themselves with the with the new startups are then going over to sell to the big boys. And so you're having a, a whole new ecosystem,
0: I think, grow. But, but, but that ecosystem's not on the preferred supplier
1: list. So what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> but but I think it's I think it's, a, it's the, you know the battle is playing out in all of these different slices, right? You know, you've got Monzo versus HSBC, and that's wonderful. You've got like massive core banking vendors versus thought machine and us and like you know you've got multi multi-billion companies who actually have got probably more cultural problems than the the banks themselves in terms of actually being able to set these things up and it and it's a really interesting you know the 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 battlefield that we're set up with in terms of everybody that's in fs direct to consumer everything that's b2b and moving beyond it it's just fascinating but, and you might argue actually like that's why 11fs exists because beyond the banks
2: and the vendors there's then professional services. Mm. And so do you go with the, like the big boys and that, you know, that standard the PSL approach, or do you go with the, the you know, the, the new approach? So, uh, on a, on so many different layers there's competition yeah. and new operating model new business models new approaches that are starting to coalesce
0: it's almost like what Monzo did for banking where we set out to do for consulting oh goodness me <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that I feel pinned I feel like we should move on to the next uh, I, I uh,
1: just I just wish we'd just pick one layer and piss off one layer at a time
2: <laughs> <laughs> when everyone hates you I know yeah, that's why, why I've shaved the beard
1: off and took my glasses off but nobody recognises me anymore it, speaking
2: of everyone hating something. What about crypto? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Let's tiptoe through crypto. Let's do this. Uh, in the year that saw crypto go drop more than 90% from its all-time high, in the year that consensus, one of the largest consulting organizations, have announced, um, or r- are rumored, sorry, to be laying off more than 50 to 60% of their staff, um, in a year in which 98% of ICOs are no longer actively traded, and in a year in which arrests have
1: begun not being a great year I'm not gonna lie <laughs> okay that's all good well and good but like is McAfee yet his own dick yet <laughs> uh, no uh, is
0: McAfee okay that's that's what I'm worried about uh, where are you John call me um, and also we saw recently Blythe Masters has even left digital asset holdings. So not all as uh, well in DLT. Learning. So I feel like we're, we're heading back to David's suit wearing days at Gartner. Because if, if I've
2: ever seen a trough of despair, this is it. Like Gartner hype cycle in large. <laughs> like we had that big peak. Everyone was in. Like people were, taxi drivers are asking about
0: whether they should be buying Bitcoin. Oh, uh, yep. That doesn't happen so much now. I, do you know that the amount of people who are on my LinkedIn asking me advice, asking me to advise an ICO is now zero per week. Thank goodness for that. <laughs>
1: that's a few less messengers. Like the thing that, uh, and I, I remember having this conversation a lot when I was at Gartner is uh, not everybody gets out of the trough. Like, and actually that's the sort of realization that this isn't a, like a methodology you get to the end of and it's all wonderful. Like people don't get up the other end of this thing. So like, do we really, do we think? You've got to hodl. You've got to believe, Dave. You like you're just like, yeah, what, like you're homeless and you just, <laughs> you're warming yourself from your Bitcoin, you know, like. Uh, so
0: my only thing here is, do I believe? that uh, crypto- cryptography developers in the open source will stop spending their time doing this stuff in parents' basements or wherever it comes. Because if you believe that they will just down their tools think ah, this cryptography is bollocks I'm just going to jack it all in for the whole planet then in that scenario crypto goes to absolute zero. Otherwise, there's something there. Now, whether or not that something is the revolution of financial markets and getting rid of central banks, uh, I've never really been convinced on that one. Whether that's even remaking financial markets in the next 10 years, I'm not really convinced on that one either. Is it like... uh, So Vitalik Buterin on episode, I believe, 76 of Blockchain Insider, which is available on iTunes now. (laughs) Wow, he's getting really good at this. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Talked about... uh, Cryptography upgraded. And I like that. Finally, a sensible narrative, which is... The, old, the great thing about cryptography is I could hash something and you would be confident that from that hash, from that signature or, or hash even... I would be confident in the state of that data that, and that it was you sending yeah, it. Yeah, uh, and that was always the promise. Look, it, it wasn't
2: about uh, making massive returns on Bitcoin or Ether. It was the fact that you, me, David, and you know everyone in the world uh, could theoretically have uh, a copy of some data that we knew was in sync with everyone else. And all of the expense around uh, reconciliation and making sure that, are we right? Like, you sent me this message. Did I receive it? Did you send it? or does my ledger say what your ledger says? Like, that's beautiful and has some real use cases. Will it kill cancer? It's really not going to. Well, so is it th- going to, you know, feed Africa? No, it's not going uh, it to. probably not. But the other th- thing with that is...
1: Did we just get carried away then? Is that I is that what so. it is? Because, like... like- if you're trying to tell me like the answer is cryptography, it's been around for like two thousand years. Like, yeah,
0: it's been around for a little while, and every now and then somebody goes, "Oh, that's a good idea." And basically, <laughs> that's what's happened. Somebody's gone, "Oh, that's a good idea." So
1: it was more of a like a complete cycle then. Like yeah, it's yeah. come, it's like flares are going to come back into fashion at well, some point. It, it was or. the fact that it was a uh, an asset a
2: currency, a religion, a technology, mm-hmm. a cult. Uh, it was so many different things. And it was always interesting. I, I'm sure you guys have the same thing. You'd go and give a speech and someone would sidle up to you afterwards and start talking to you about crypto. And very quickly, you had to work out whether they
0: were in the cult, the technology set, or they were looking to invest. To <laughs> yeah. And so the interesting one I've had lately is, does my core banking system need blockchain? Does it need smart contracts? Oh, recently. And,
2: have, they, have you heard that yeah, recently? I've,
0: I've heard that a lot recently. And I'm like... But why? Like, as a technology to sync lots of systems together from independent actors, it makes sense. But in the middle of a high-performance system, it makes zero sense, especially when it's so early. And that was the thing about the Vitalik interview, is he was very sober about the fact that, look, this stuff is early, it's experimental, there's a long way to go, but he's excited by it because the really interesting thing about cryptography is I could tell you a thing was true, but I couldn't tell you that thing is no longer true. So I could say... Uh, here's here's my certificate that says I have a driver's license. But if I got disqualified by the DVLA, uh, they would have to send me a separate message that says that's no longer true. We wouldn't have somewhere that we could just quickly check that we all agree. Yeah, that and that now was true. into
2: like the Dave Birch territory. The you know it's not about the one thing you carry around, but being able to prove something. You you don't need to see my driving license. You just need to know whether I'm allowed to drive. You yep. don't need to know my age. You just need to know am
1: I over eighteen? and yeah. Therefore, can I drink? But, and so can we so, prove. St- Stuff easily without a lot of work, but but like like no shit, Vitalik's like happy about it. Like, how much ether do you think he sold? Like, do you think he does he care now? Like, you know, he, he's you essentially know, I, like I think for him, it's never been about the money. Uh, listen to the it interview. can't it can't hurt though, right? Like, no, he, I mean, he, no. he's Tim Berners Lee, but actually made a lot of money. <laughs> like, so now he's like just sit back and see what happens and you know he sold enough of it to make a bunch of money he's kept enough of it to make a bunch of money if it works out he's not
0: even gone Mark Zuckerberg weird Silicon Valley geek he's just like hold on we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) Vitalik oh (laughs) the guy's the guy's a heck of a nerd Um, and I mean that with love but he's he's not gone into that, like, he's I only not... wear one color of T-shirt. Well, that's but... the thing.
1: Yeah, he's definitely, well, he's still wearing funky T-shirts, but they are funky T-shirts. Aren't they're they? fun. They're cats and, and unicorns and all sorts of stuff. He's got a stuff. sense of humor, bless sure.
2: him. So is he going to make it out of the hype cycle? That's the question.
0: Well, out of the trough. I think it's going to change shape, right? We're going to start talking about cryptography upgraded a lot more. And I think we're also going to start uh, really talking about how do we represent assets differently that are currently traded in paper? And it comes back to digitized versus digital. In capital markets, we still have a lot of paper of processes that we've digitized. If you look at the um, dematerialization of assets in the 1970s, that was digitizing a paper process. This is an opportunity to rethink that uh, with a new type of cryptography, and that's kind of cool. That could even have some um, incredible impact in the world of financial markets, but not yet.
1: I, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I honestly yeah. feel, I honestly you say feel, yeah. But I hear no. no I, I, <laughs> I, I, I honestly, honestly, I completely agree with you. But it's like. I think everybody—it's like everybody getting so hyped about what could be on Mars. Like, yeah. and actually, if it feels like we've had like a massive um, realization in the industry that we've actually got bigger shit to sort out. Completely.
0: Thing. And, and I- I'm so with you on that. This is why, like, as a founder of 11FS, I'm not banging the drum internally all the time, going, we're not looking at blockchain enough. I'm going, you know, this is this is right. This but,
1: is the- but it will come back. Yes. I think that's the thing. And actually, similar to, like, all of the Ferrari that we saw around AI, it's like, um, you know, banks, banks have been trying to be sort of going, like, okay, like, machine learning's a massive thing, and we, we're going to do that exclusively over anything else. And, like, I've started to hear people go about, like, what my quantum computing strategy is and i'm like <laughs> like hello like, guys like yeah like maybe so sort... it's the
0: new thing to talk yeah. about and it's kind of like no uh, like go for the thing that's got the evidence and i think you know five years ago it was the um oh my kid just
1: got an iphone now it's the my kid just got a pink card a oh, sorry hot coral um and <laughs> well it's it's just not trying to put an icing on a cake you don't have like you know oh, bake the cake deep I'll tell you that. That yeah. was lovely. I'm, I'm now getting hungry. I'm hungry for the next
0: story. Although uh, I have, it's not even a story. I have it's eaten a theme. icing without a cake. It's, it's, wow. I don't even know what you said. Say that again. I have eaten icing without a cake. Next theme. <laughs> 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 admission <laughs> we love you girl we love you so hard um it's all about the hacks that have been happening um and i think the biggest one was the uh, indian national identity scheme out got hacked um with a possible risk surface of 1.1 billion people but we saw starwood hotels at over 300 million my fitness pal at 150 million like the hacks have been big on the personal data side the risk is abound, gentlemen. Uh, can we trust anybody with our data anymore? No. Definitely not. Next, I don't think we ever point. could.
1: No. no. I I don't think we ever could, but I think definitely like this year, it's 100% been brought in. Uh, Here are the consequences. consequences. Yeah, Like, but, focus I mean, on that. Now. When
2: Facebook and Google get hacked, you know, in this year, like, Google was uh, 52 and a half million uh, people private information on google plus profiles including name employer job title email address birthday age relationships google status. plus like
1: it's i know out-
2: cambridge analytica 87 million facebook profiles data in, in do you remember you know, google when, Plus? when those kind of that level of te- technically able companies get hacked mm. Like it's just everyone, yeah. like everyone and everything is basically uh, open.
0: <laughs> and on that happy note, uh, <laughs> enjoy uh, your crypt now. Uh, and so that's not the only thing that's been happening. We did see, of course, Danske Bank this year um, were called out for uh, the laundering of nearly two hundred billion euros um, through their Lithuanian branch. Uh, Wow, money laundering scandals have not gone away. And again, talk about digitizing a paper process. How banks still do KYC and AML at the corporate scale is the ultimate digitized paper process. Well, it's not even digitized in most cases. But it's it's interesting this, because on one hand, look, you've
2: got all of the data hacks. On the other hand, you've got all of the regulators pointing at the bank saying, you've got to police the entire, like the global financial system. Yeah. And we're expecting a much higher level of performance from you because look at all the
0: data you can get and look at all the things that you can, uh, you know, you can run. Yes. But they used to police the um, banks by saying, show me your process and demonstrate that you have a process in place. Now, I think what's changed is um, the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, have flipped from show me your process to. Prove that your process is effective. And I think that's a mindset shift that's really going to change. Like if you work in a risk team, that's coming and it's coming hard, especially with the EU um, fifth anti-money laundering directive filtering through um, and those rules coming from FATF being pushed down on a lot of countries.
3: But so that 200 billion, I mean, like pause on that. That's a lot of money, 200 billion euros. It's a it's, bit, isn't it?
0: Well, so... Like for uh, <laughs> four work companies.
3: Yeah, But so, I mean, it's like 10 times the size of Estonia's economy that got laundered through Danske Bank in Estonia. That's insane. And actually...
1: You would have have thought they would have thought... Someone would have noticed. Yeah. Someone would have gone, wait, hang on. We're taking a piss a little bit. (laughs) Um, So what's what's interesting is... (laughs) It's a typical thing, isn't it? You do it once, you get carried away. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, five times the GDP of the country. It's
0: it's like somebody washed the uh, Pacific Ocean through the Suez Canal. It's like, hang on. (laughs)
3: But so but they've they've arrested like 10 former employees now. I don't even know how sophisticated this was. I think it was just people on the inside well, so uh, if, enabling this to
0: happen. If you go look at the processes for preventing money laundering, you go from um, KYC and AML, then you get customer due diligence, CDD, and then you get this thing called enhanced due diligence. Ooh. Uh, yeah, now enhanced due diligence. You've been you, through the training, I can tell. Oh my God. That, that CBT, you were like it, all over That it. computer-based training, <laughs> I was so all sounds like it. sounds
1: like you know almost too much about it. <laughs> Have you been spending check, much time David, in Estonia lately? Or, uh...
3: I, I don't know where he's going, but I feel like... Like enhanced due diligence. I know where it's good going. as
0: it sounds. It's jail. He's where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good as it sounds because uh, it involves things like adverse media screening. Have they been in the press and said a naughty thing? Uh, politically exposed persons. Like, is this person exposed to, to somebody who could be corrupt? Um, Anti bribery and corruption. Um, but my, my personal favorite is the source of funds check. And a source of funds check typically involves a piece of paper and asking you, where did you get those funds? And you go, won it in gambling and they go aha you have filled in the form. that's very good on you go and like that's just got to change as a as a set of processes here's hoping we do when people move towards effectiveness and they have something on blockchain maybe yeah we've got to agree that they did indeed win it at gambling um, and they'd be able to prove that they won it at gambling
3: but this was my point earlier about gdpr i feel like this has just been happening but now the penalties for not Telling the appropriate authorities are so high that we just know about it. And Nothing else so has really changed.
0: The, well, we've seen really, 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 really big fines for not getting your AML controls right in the tens of billions. And yet this is still happening. And I think it's not that people are trying to follow a process that's the issue. It's that people are not doing them well. They're not rethinking them. It's like, I've demonstrated I've followed a shitty process. It's not good enough anymore. <laughs> but, but they've also got, you know, Deborah,
2: who works down the bank, who's stand, sitting there. I like, thought that was an acronym. I didn't I know. know. <laughs> like, who, hey, Debbie. He's <laughs> like, hey, Debbie. Just come to pay a check in, and on the other side of the counter, you've got the most sophisticated money launderer, you know, in the world. Who, who, if they're money laundering two hundred billion, are going to be pretty good at what they do, and are going to be like, like, I don't know, crazy degrees, crazy training, you know, teams of people. Deborah is going to struggle, honestly, when it when it comes to um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good name like uh, for the money launderer
0: that's one for you to email jason11fs.com good names from hans Hans. Hans, Hans die hard (laughs) (laughs) well hans gruber is gonna he's gonna take it take deborah it it is the season for hans gruber (laughs) (laughs) all righty um the last theme of the year of course has been fun branding
1: meowing cards and much more what's been your favorite part of the year david um i like, there's so many, to be honest with you. like we, We've gone some really fun places and, and chatted some really entertaining people. Like, Zerocon, for me, was probably one of the highlights, if I'm honest with you. Like, just getting 5,000 accountants together and actually having a good laugh was like, you know, you don't think that's going to happen, but it was hella entertaining. Accountants so, know how to party. I know, they really do. I, I'm, I think we should let that hang. I didn't know that was a thing. What 5, and been a having a like a, a good time.
0: It's a borderline rave. You should see the lighting.
1: Yeah, no, it really was like it was like it was the funnest party I think I've been to this entirety this year. Like it feels, this has started to feel like a zero ad. Like we should move on. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of sincerity from that side of the table. But what That's about um,
0: Op? They had a slush party.
1: Yeah, that was fun as well. Like, like, generally, like this feels like it. Like this section's turning into a parties David's gone to. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, the OP one over in Helsinki was equally entertaining. I have to say, like to be honest, with you, like my my highlight of the year definitely is probably the weird looks that I've had over the last 24 hours having shaved off my beard for charity so uh, like, I kind of feel like I've done a thing that both makes me feel terrible about myself but also really good about myself I've 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 got a
3: question for you on
1: that is it
3: starting to get old every time you walk into the office someone goes, excuse me sir can I help you
1: I must have had it 26, 27 (coughs) times in the last sort of 6 of working hours really still funny or no? not so much No, It's, it's losing it's appeal
2: so for me 2018 just feels like it's been crazy long it's one of those where it just seems to have flashed by mm. and just seems to have, have lasted forever yeah um but the fact that you know we worked on on the launch of metal and that that's came to fruition in fact we've been over to hong kong and worked with standard charts on their thing uh worked with like a vast number of clients uh, been over to the us i think we've been in 20 countries or something this year working with different people on on making those those digital services And it's been fun. I mean, the what the organisation's grown from. How big were we last year? Now we're some hundred people. Hundred and
1: thirty-eight people now.
0: There you go. So look at us grow. Mm. (laughs) And and, like, you know what I want to do? I want to get us to stand next to the wall and mark it in a permanent marker. How tall we are this year. I Get think the school photo, the beginning of the school year. It, B-
3: building on that, there's been some really nice milestones this year, like the LinkedIn top 25 startups. You know, announcing, I Metal, forgot about that. Yeah. Announcing Foundry. It's been a yeah. really DMPF
1: good Foundry. year for Eleven FS. Geez, I went straight to what were the parties I enjoyed, and you you made it all serious. It that was good. Yeah, we launched
0: Eleven FC, and not oh forget. yeah,
1: now we have a football team. Like everything is right in the world. I like. I I do agree with what Jason said, though. It's like. Actually, well, now I, you do. I, I won't, no, but, no, but Tell us just, about those parties you've been to, David. No, well, it's, it's less about the stuff we've done. It's just more the overriding feeling like we've done a lot of stuff. I think everybody's in a situation where it's like been a long year. I think I've never probably had a year where Christmas has come at the perfect time. Usually there's like a billion things that we need to do. Now I'm like, actually, I'm both terribly tired, but also incredibly excited about what happens next year.
2: I, I think there, there is a trend there's that similar feeling across the industry. I mean, there's never been a better time to work in retail banking or in finance, in fintech in the last, what, 100 years. Mm. You know, now is the time when things are changing and people can make a real impact, either mm. in the large organizations or in, in small startups.
0: And it's like, it's lit that fire, I think. Yeah. Banking used to be that scene from Mary Poppins with the bankers. And I think it has now changed a bit. Uh, I do think there's a uh, a bit like the big tech companies have gone through the tech backlash. I think we've got to be mindful of not celebrating tech is the answer to everything and we've also got to bear in mind that people's money and livelihoods are on the line and it's a very serious thing banking did for many many years but at the same time the opportunity that you, money touches everything and if you can change how finance works you can change the world
1: i think i think the great thing is i think we've gone beyond that and i think that's what scares many of like the traditional companies is we've gone through the like you know the buzzword of like ai or blockchain or like mm-hmm. machine learning or whatever and what's the realization now is that smart people are the answer and that's wonderful, you know, because actually what's happening there is you're, you're moving into the, the, the I period. I feel like
0: you should have to go through a course to learn this. Like should, <laughs> I should have had to pay $1,000 for a class and like yeah. smart people are the answer. You just no, give I it think, away on a podcast. I think
2: you're spot on because we're moving from a very mature market where, look, we know how all this works. Just sit there and do your job. Be that cog, because the machine works is hmm. a big thing. Yeah. We're printing money. I'm cranking this handle. You keep cranking your handle. We'll all be good. Maybe you get to mo- crank my handle at one.
1: <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Easy. Easy. I know it's Christmas. <laughs> wow, Deborah. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> so. um
2: but it's, now kids we're now getting to that point where uh, where things are changing, and suddenly it's not that sort of big, massive machine with you know everyone like uh, stay doing mm. what you uh, what you need to do. We're having to work out how this new thing works, and that means that all of a sudden you don't. It, it's not about organising vast waves of people in in order to to all be coordinated together. It's about working out new things, and suddenly like talent. Becomes a thing rather than a just shut up and do your job because you might be talented but I just need you to, to fill in the form.
0: Yeah. There was a real cultural thing in large organizations before about don't overstep your boundary. You've got to give one person that job and you can't do their thing and they can't do your thing and it all got very political. The opposite is true in, in the, the tech world. You've got to kind of fill in the gaps and play in the spaces and like talent will really enjoy that and I have no doubt whatsoever and I've seen it many with the clients we work with and the places I've worked. There's a massive amount of talent that wants to work this way inside the organizations, the large organizations and the small ones. 2019, year of talent, to tell you. I, I you think.
1: Go. I think the last thing, the last thing I should say that I really enjoyed was. I think it was about this time last year that I very drunkenly shouted, very loudly, at an after dark that if it was the last thing that I did, I would get where I am on the podcast. And I think I stand vindicated on that one.
0: Yeah. Lesson learned, people. Do not challenge the Brea to do a thing. So so what's for next year? Are you getting on next year? Well, I'm
1: I'm coming for you, Snoop
2: Dogg. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, going to happen. (laughs) Some cannabis-related fintech thing. I I don't care. He has invested (laughs) in Robinhood. Um, I'm just putting that out there. Paris
1: Hilton did a thing. And she did. Okay,
2: yes. Paris Hilton and Snoop Dogg on the same podcast. Well, I d- figure that's 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 what we should aim. For. I,
1: I think the prediction that we should almost make is like, which person who endorsed an ICO is definitely going to go to jail in
0: 2019? Oh well, DJ Khaled and uh, Floyd Mayweather already got fined. Oh really? They, they already got fined, wow. which is probably my favorite moment of the year. And that, and when a rat chewed eighteen thousand dollars in an ATM and then died. Wow, <laughs> what a way to go! Yeah, you know, like it is. Goodbye, cruel world. <laughs> Just gorged <laughs> <laughs> himself on. That that is that's the ultimate party isn't I it I think he just had itchy teeth um, <laughs> and on that note <laughs> and on that note that wraps up all of 2018 we hope you've had a great year let us know what you think of your year let us know your favourite moments email me simon11fs.com and while you're there uh, whilst you're thinking about getting in touch with us why not find us on f- at Fintech Insiders um, and remember to subscribe to the podcast because you might hear Jason say silly things <laughs> <laughs> and give us a review on iTunes
2: please It, it uh, really makes our day yeah maybe like
1: a a fun summary of this episode with deborah and cranking my handle cranking handles (laughs) all of these things and more you get the hashtag cranking handles
0: (laughs) hashtag jason's been cranking his handle again yeah okay (laughs) thanks very much this is the end of fintech insiders have a fantastic christmas and new year thanks for listening and goodbye